This is the Say the Damn Score podcast with your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome back, everybody, to the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard the big voiced guy say, I'm Logan Anderson. That has not changed, and this is the 18th podcast, so... This podcast can now legally buy cigarettes and scratch-off tickets, I guess, uh, if uh, if you wanted to go buy landmarks. But right now, we are joined by Tony Castricone, and he has a whole bunch of titles. The main ones, uh, men's basketball announcer for Clemson University. He's also a network manager for nine different IMG schools. And Tony, how are you doing? I'm great, Logan. Thanks for having me on today. So let's just start off where we start with just about everybody. Just give us your story of how you ended up getting into the sportscasting industry. Did you take a linear path? Was it a unpredictable, unreplicable path? How did you get to where you are? Gosh, well, I guess if you get cut from any grade school and high school basketball team enough times, you'll, you'll start to get the hint that maybe uh, if I want a career in this sort of thing, it's going to have to be off the court. So, um, you know, uh, actually, my freshman year of high school, uh, I got cut from the basketball team, and, and uh, I was so, I, like, it, it affected my confidence so much that I didn't even go out my sophomore year. But I wanted to be involved, and so I started, um, I, I started keeping the stats for the team, and, and part of that included uh, calling in the results to the local papers after the games and things along those lines. And um, uh, there, were, there were actually two statisticians because the coach kept everything. He kept charges. He kept, like, what kind of turnover it was and everything. So the two of us would sit there and do a virtual play-by-play just communicating to one another what was actually happening so we could keep track of the stats accurately. And the official scorebook, uh, who was the guy that we sat behind normally, said, it sounds like I'm listening to play-by-play of a broadcast when I hear you guys going back and forth. You guys are, you communicate really well together. And I had always had a real passion for sports. I wanted to work in sports if I could, and I just didn't really know how. So I started at that point in the middle of my high school years to investigate how do you become a sportscaster. And I, I realized that it probably would make sense to try to get a degree in journalism somewhere. So um, I went to Ohio University. And the Scripps School is one of the uh, perennially one of the top ten journalism schools in the country. And I grew up in Central Ohio, so that was a nice in-state option for me. And as soon as I got on campus, like I just wanted to get experience in any way that I possibly could. And whether that was waking up at five in the morning on a Friday, after probably going to bed at three a.m. on a Thursday night after staying out having a little too much fun, whatever that was, (laughs) I was doing anything I could to get on the air, whether it was radio, whether it was TV. I did a little bit of news, but I tried to do as much sports as possible. I called play-by-play in whatever the student station was was allowed to have the rights to at the time and uh, even started doing some studio hosting for hockey without knowing anything about hockey um, and just just wanted to do it. So uh, that kind of experience led me to my senior year, the local uh, station – W-A-T-H-W-X-T-Q and AM-FM combo at a sports director's job open up. And so I expressed my interest in it, and I actually knew the guy who was leaving the job. And, um, you know, he just recommended me based on my work ethic. You know, I, I don't know if I was really any good or not, but uh, he just thought I'd be the right guy to, to replace him, so he made a recommendation, and that's how I got my start. And that was fantastic because I was on the air so much. And it was, again, you know, as a college student, there were morning sportscasts every single morning, getting up at 5.30 or 6 in the morning, getting in there, doing the morning sports, and then calling tons of high school games, uh, a lot of boys and girls basketball, a lot of football. But it just gave me the chance, and doing a, a daily one-hour talk show. But it gave me the chance to just do stuff and to really learn, you know, what, what is it that I'm good at and what is it that I'm not so good at. And as I, I started to get that experience, even though my career took a, a couple different detours, I started to learn that really what I wanted to do 
and where I also kind of saw my upside in the industry was in play-by-play. I, I was better at play-by-play than I was at hosting talk shows. And, um, you know, it, it, it kind of it, it got to a point where I just was kind of convinced that that's what I should, that's what I should pursue. Well, after taking a detour into newspapers, and I was a sports editor for a little bit, I, I got a, a job offer in Columbus, Ohio, which is my hometown, at WBNS, flagship home of the Buckeyes, top 40 market, and that was really thrilling for me. But that's where I started to do some talk shows and some things like that. I thought to myself, you know, I really want to do play-by-play, but there just wasn't any play-by-play opportunity. So I started a website. And it was OhioHSFootball.com. And it was my effort to just cover all the underserved high schools of central Ohio where high school football is a really big deal. And I just was I was writing little write-ups on, on every team. And I was picking a game of the week. And I would show up and I would just stream the game on the Internet just to get the experience. No one was listening. And, uh, you know, I wasn't making anything to do it, but I just started the website so I would have an outlet to call a game. I'm going to cut in right there. Did you have to sell sponsors on that as well, or did you just do it out of volunteer? I know you said you didn't make money, but did you try? Well, you know, it's funny because my station actually didn't want me to do it because they were worried that I would sell sponsorships and start to create competition. So I told them that I wouldn't. I mean, I basically locked myself into a volunteer situation. I I didn't have the opportunity to try to monetize it. But, you know, um, I I was doing that. Then I also, um, you know, accepted a women's basketball role at my alma alma mater, uh, Ohio University, where my color analyst for the women's basketball games was a junior student at OU by the name of Allie LaForce. And uh, Allie was fantastic at color analysts, uh, color analysis, uh, and as everybody who watches her on CBS and TNT knows, she's a fantastic broadcaster. And we had a lot of fun just like making the women's basketball broadcast the best we possibly could. Well, about a month after that uh, basketball season came to an end, as happens to a lot of people in the broadcast industry, I was laid off. Uh, for my radio job and really wasn't even given that many uh, reasons why they just uh, quote unquote wanted to go in a different direction. And uh, that happens from time to time. And so um, I looked at this, this was kind of a reset on my career. All of a sudden, you know, I was lamenting a little bit the fact that I hadn't really given play by play a fair shot because I got a good job out of college and all that stuff. And I saw this as an opportunity to maybe take a little bit of a step backwards in pay, but, but really focus in what I wanted to do. So I took a part-time job at the age of 28. I moved down to North Carolina and took a part-time job with IMG College. And I told myself I'd give it 12 months to see if anything would come out of it. And I actually took the job with ISP Sports. And that's an important part of the story because – I took the job with ISP to be a studio host, and I showed up for my first day of work. And my very first day of work, there was a press conference in the lobby. ISP was announcing a merger with IMG College. And that was really scary for me because I just moved from four states away, and I didn't even know if I was still going to have a job or if this merger was going to leave me on the outside looking in. But what actually happened was IMG College acquired ISP's way of doing business. So the headquarters stayed in Winston-Salem, and... They had to grow exponentially overnight. So I put in eight months of really hard work. I worked two other part-time jobs to make ends meet. I was calling high school basketball games at a small station in southwest Virginia, uh, WWWJ, Galax High School. And I was calling women's basketball at Radford University, which was two hours away. And um, I was just kind of in a situation where I was loving it because I'm doing all this live on-air college football and basketball studio hosting, and I'm doing all this play-by-play, and I'm broke, and I'm sleeping (laughs) on the floor of this empty apartment in a state that I've never been to before. Uh, And I don't even have a bed, but I'm loving it, you know? Like, I'm really excited by this potential. A lot of commuting, and um, I I probably drove 30,000 miles that winter. (laughs) But, you know... uh, Again, I, I told myself, let's give this a real shot. And within um, within eight months, you know, I got promoted to full-time. 
into the network manager role. And that started out with managing some of the Mid-American Conference broadcasts. And it also started out with managing the Michigan Wolverines. And I just sunk my, my hands into that position. And it really didn't have any on-air that came along with it. But I took the job super seriously. And I really kind of love the, the oversight and the management of it. Uh, I just see a lot of opportunity to network, a lot of opportunity to institute ideas. And from there, on-air opportunities started coming. One was studio hosting for Notre Dame football, and I'm going into my seventh year of doing that now as a pregame halftime and postgame show host for Notre Dame football. But another was doing Division One fill-in play-by-play. And that started small with Akron and Ohio University and some of those schools. It, it, it then ended up with East Carolina due to some circumstances with uh, Jeff Charles' health. And um, then it went to the BCS level where I started doing games for Ole Miss and Michigan and, and some of those other programs. So when the Clemson opportunity opened up in 2014, uh, I, the tape I had to submit was Michigan versus Florida State at the Puerto Rico tip-off. <laughs> and that really positioned me to be taken very seriously as a candidate. Um, that combined with all my experience and understanding of college sports, multimedia marketing, rights holders, uh, all that stuff. Um, you know, I, I was blessed to be offered the job. And so I'm going into my third year as, as the voice of Clemson basketball. And that's how all that kind of came into play. But I know it's a very long answer to your first question, but, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if, I don't know if uh, I don't know if that answers your question in a way that that makes anything clear at all. I, I think it's, it's chaotic uh, to, to answer your question. I guess um, you, you really you really can't script that path, but uh, just being willing to almost never say no, try to build relationships, real relationships, not not um, kind of social networking where you're just trying to get as many likes and friends as possible, but real honest to goodness relationships and, and get as much experience as possible. And, uh, you know, sometimes doors open. So that's interesting that you're just the men's basketball announcer at Clemson. A lot of times you'll see that usually there's more than one sport involved. You do basketball and baseball or basketball and football. It's not real common that you see someone do just basketball do you want other responsibilities with that down the line, or are you happy with that the way it is, and is that what, how you want it to be? Well, I mean, I think for me, you know, this is a great opportunity to, to work at a Division One school, and I'm going to take whatever opportunity uh, is the best for me at that time. You know, Clemson football is a big deal. <laughs> and, um, you know, for, for someone who's, Gosh, between all the high school games that I've done, and I've filled in on a few Division One games, um, but you know, for the most part, I've probably only really called forty or fifty football games in my entire life. So, like having the opportunity to just call games, continue to get reps at the exact stage that I'm at right now, like this is a great step for me. And I think that sometimes it's easy for people to to look at what they're not doing and crave that, but I, I would really tell young people that it, it really is more about the journey than the destination, because you can't really control what offers are available and what the destination ends up being. You really can only control your your journey, you know? So, I mean, it, to, to answer the question honestly, yeah, I would love to call the Final Four and, and the Super Bowl. That would be amazing, and I think a lot of people feel the same way. But what I really want to do is just enjoy life. And I think there are a lot of factors that go into that. Do you like the people who are around you? You know, do you, do you like the school and the athletic department that you work for? Um, are, you, are you in a situation that uh, you've got enough money coming in? Because there can be some really cool jobs in this industry that just don't pay anything, you know? <laughs> and so I'm in a situation right now where I'm really – blessed and really happy with where I'm at and I think that that needs to be the attitude you take with any job I mean I, it's hard to take stepping stone jobs because 
the the luster wears off after you know a couple of months if if you're if you're not really in it for the exact job that you're doing and you're just trying to take it as a stepping stone job you get you get frustrated pretty easily so i think it's important that any time you apply for a job you have to be all right with being in that job for the foreseeable future and i was definitely i definitely felt that way about Clemson and i still do i mean if if I just do Clemson basketball for the next 40 years, I'm going to love doing Clemson basketball. Um, but, you know, as far as what else is out there, you know, I'm just going to take it a little step at a time. Don Munson, the voice of Clemson football, has become a really good friend and a mentor to me, and I appreciate his friendship, and, I, you know, I think he does a good job. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm i happy for him because I knew it was his dream job to do Clemson football. So I – truly don't want to encroach upon that so um you know i think that uh again building genuine relationships has to do with really genuinely caring about people and and that's kind of how i feel about don and the opportunity that he has and uh i'm you know i'm i'm going to continue to just pursue whatever opportunities come my way to to get football experience yeah, I, I was certainly not trying to imply that it was not a great job, but the other part of your career is the network manager, and we touched on that a little bit, and you do that for nine different schools, and I just found that interesting. What all goes into managing an IMG college network? Well, um, I think really when you just think about what it would take to put any broadcast on the air, it essentially encompasses that. Um, we're kind of in a situation where, because we do it as a company for about 50 schools, uh, there is a little bit of an expertise that develops over the course of time. So I feel like um, the, the reason that we exist is because, uh, you know, a, a general manager, a general sales manager at a school may be killing it, bringing in the sponsorships, but when it comes to all the other things that uh, you need to do in order to manage a network, uh, that takes a lot of time away from the ability to sell. So for us, people who work in radio year-round, 12 months a year, things like recruiting radio affiliates, figuring out distribution, are we going to send a direct dial to a station of a program feed, or are we going to do it via satellite? Uh, managing the crew and answering a lot of their questions, coming up with creative ways and creative features to fulfill sponsorships. Um, those are the sorts of things that, that we do 12 months out of the year. And that's how, um, you know, you, you kind of end up learning all the different aspects of the industry. Um, you know, I thought one of the things that really helped me in the applying process through Clemson was I had – references on my resume to people that did all different sorts of things. I mean, I had an associate AD as a reference on my resume. I had an SID. I had a basketball coach. I had um, a basketball analyst. I had uh, my boss, Chris Ferris. So to have, you know, people who do all these different things as references and each one of them, that would play a vital role in an athletic department. Each one of them was able to say, yeah, Tony is an asset to me because he understands my job and can help me. I thought that really boosted my profile in, in applying for that job. So, again, I was blessed for it to work out, but I think the 30,000-foot view I have of the industry uh, certainly helped. I mean, it, it couldn't have hurt in trying to get a play-by-play job at a school. You're in a unique situation where, obviously, if, you're listening to this podcast, you probably know that there's two big college rights holders. There's IMG and there's Learfield. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Clemson is a Learfield property and you manage networks and do a lot of work for IMG, which, I mean, I believe it's friendly competition, but it's still competition. Is it that uncommon for that to happen or am I just kind of over overplaying that in my head? It's uncommon. But I think, you know, Chris Ferris and Tom Bowman, from, from what I can tell, have a very good relationship. And, um, you know, there's also 
There are also some schools that are a joint partnership where IMG and Learfield are actually uh, both working with the schools in their own way, and, and, and Clemson is one of those that um, IMG actually has uh, a little bit of a stake in what goes on at Clemson. So um, it is operated uh, by Learfield. The broadcast is produced out of Jefferson City. But Chris and Tom do have a, a, a relationship where they're communicating on a regular basis. And when I expressed interest to Tom Bowman about the position, the first thing I did after that was, was check in with my boss, Chris, and, and make sure he was okay with it. Because I wasn't going to go forward if it was going to be a threat to my full-time job. And conversely, I wasn't going to go forward if uh, Clemson and Learfield wasn't okay with me being able to continue to pay my bills with the full-time job. So uh, it was a conversation that developed, and, and both sides were all right with it, and I'm very blessed for that. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't take for granted that both sides were willing to work with a very unique situation, but um, they were, and uh, I've, I've taken advantage of it. I mean, it's, it's a dream opportunity to call ACC basketball. We're going to veer off the tracks a little bit right now, and I'm going to go back to your days when you were in Columbus doing the talk show and doing a little reading on you. It says that you frequently co-hosted with Kirk Herbstreet, who, of course, anyone who really just follows sports probably knows who he is. What was it like working with Kirk? And give us a couple you know, off-camera stories about what he's like as a person and a professional. Yeah, Kirk is awesome. I mean, I can't say I can't say anything better about uh, someone who I've come into as in frequent contact as I, as I can with Kirk Herbstreet. I, I didn't host with him often. Uh, I wasn't a regular host at the station. I had a Sunday morning show regularly, but most of my Monday through Friday hosting was on a fill-in basis. So I only worked with Kirk probably four or five times. But I'll tell you this much. I go back and I listen to those tapes from time to time, and I don't publish those tapes online because I wasn't good. I mean, I truly, I was not good. And I was young. I was just coming out of school. I was 23, 24 years old. And I'm sitting next to a guy who is a big deal, right? And the guests that he's getting on the program are a big deal. We would have Mac Brown, Jeff Tedford, you know, guys that were coaching top Ten football programs at the time that we're hosting these shows and he could not have treated me with more respect and uh, looked at me as a colleague even though I was so far out of my league being next to a guy like him and um, I just I, I, I just am forever grateful for that and uh, it was funny because in 2008 uh, a job had opened up that I wanted to apply for, and I asked him if he would be a reference for me. And he emailed me back, yeah, I, I absolutely will, but one piece of advice I want to give you is I just want you to be you. Don't try to be anybody else. I want you to be you. And that's really stuck with me because I think it's it's really easy. I mean, I think it's easy to be insecure in this business because we we look up to all these other people who were doing all these things, and maybe sometimes we try to mimic them or, or whatever. But he gave me that advice, and um, it stuck with me to this day, and I didn't end up getting the job. But um, I, I sent him an email two years after I left the station and uh, just sent him a little bit of encouragement for something that he was dealing with. And he sent me back a lengthy response for someone who, again, at his stature – and with the amount of people that he's in contact with, he really didn't have to do. And so uh, I, I really can't say, uh, you know, anything but, but, but great things about Kirk Herbstreet and, and the way that he treats other people in the industry. Like, he, he just he gave me so much respect that, that probably wasn't even deserved. That's interesting that the advice that he gave was, you being you, and you brought up, you know, the insecurity of, especially when you're still climbing the ladder, I know I go through it, of, you know, wondering, you know, what you're doing and whether you're doing the right thing. Was there a moment that you felt like you weren't being yourself and maybe that insecurity was changing your product? 
Yeah, I really think that I probably wasn't being myself hosting talk shows. And he may have been able to tell that. And I think people who knew me best probably were able to tell that. But, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of talk shows, in order to be you know, a successful talk show host, you have to be very, very opinionated. And that's something that sometimes comes to me naturally, but sometimes I'm, a, I'm just a, a bit of a contrarian and I just see things from both sides. And sometimes I was trying to maybe stir the pot in ways that just didn't even make any sense. And I probably wasn't that entertaining. I probably wasn't putting together coherent arguments for things that I was saying. And I just wasn't being me. And, um, you know, I think that's part of the getting experience process for any young broadcaster. I mean, I think as you get more developed throughout your career, you should be probably narrowing your focus on what it is that you enjoy most and you're best at, you know. And, and you should probably try to come to enjoy and appreciate and work on the skills that you're best at. And so um, I'd say hosting talk shows is probably not, I mean, you know, it's probably not, at least in sports, probably not something I'm really that great at. But um, I'm glad I did it. It was a great experience while I was doing it. And, uh, and doing it helped me realize what it was that I really wanted to do. How did you end up getting a Heisman vote? Well, um, I, Bruce Hooley recruits the Heisman voters. Uh, for the state of Ohio, and Bruce is a talk show host, or was a talk show host at the station that I worked with, and uh, and Bruce is a uh, very good friend of mine. And I remember the very first time I met Bruce was at a press conference uh, at Ohio State, and Bruce uh, didn't even know who I was, and I just graduated from college, but Bruce came up to me, and he was very nice and complimentary, and says, uh, you were asking some really good questions that I didn't expect someone your age to ask. And we struck up a friendship, and he started to see that, like, the opinions that I did develop and the questions that I did ask and my, my natural curiosity from, from journalism school and, and other things like that, he thought I would be a good fit when he had an opening. So um, he offered me uh, – well, he asked me. He, he was like, would you take this seriously and would you do it? And then my response to him was, I will write you a five-page thesis on why I'm voting the way I'm voting if you want, if you need me to. I, I would love to have a Heisman vote. And so I guess that was a good enough answer for him, and he, he offered me the vote. And uh, it's one of my favorite things I get to do to this day. I take it very seriously. So what all goes into that? Do you just make sure to watch all the games? I mean, we talked a little bit beforehand where you're – maybe not great at breaking down tape or really breaking down a game, but you obviously do your research. What preparation and what process do you go through when deciding who you're voting for on something like the Heisman? Well, a lot of it's opinion and a lot of the, um, a lot of the narrative, you know, gets pushed publicly. I mean, we, we all kind of know who the, the top three or four guys are um, by the time the season uh, you know, winds down because so many of the experts, you know, end up shaping that. But I, I don't think they shape it inaccurately. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to uh, who steps up in the, in the big games. And it's so funny. In football, there's only 12 games. So any loss or any bad performance just gets magnified. And any, any amazing performance just gets magnified so much because then you just talk about it for the next six or seven days. So – you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I think um, the things that I do on game day for Notre Dame with the pregame, halftime, and postgame really lend to me having a nice overall knowledge of what's going on in college football because the national scoreboard updates that I do, uh, obviously following Notre Dame very closely, and they play a national schedule. They've always got Stanford and USC on the schedule. There's always a Big Ten team like Michigan or Michigan State. They're playing Texas this year. They've got a handful of ACC teams. You really get a good feel for what's going on across the country just by being in that position alone. But a lot of it's just, again, natural, genuine curiosity. And um, 
I grew up in the biggest college football town in America, Columbus, Ohio. I mean, they, <laughs> I, I've been following college football since I, you know, was able to step out of the cradle. And um, I think a lot of that historical context combined with the storylines of what goes on on a week-to-week basis uh, just helps me develop opinion. Interesting. I'm going to steer this away in another direction again. One of the things that I found interesting when doing a little bit of research on your background is that you are very musical. You, you're a singer and a songwriter. You perform for people, and you do a lot of different things, playing guitar and using your voice as an instrument. How does music help you to improve as a play-by-play person? Well, I don't know that music does. Um, I think that songwriting does because I love songwriting and I've been a member of the Nashville Songwriters Association International for the last three years. And through songwriting and learning how to write songs, I mean, there definitely is a craft to it. There's an art to it. And by taking classes on that and going to workshops and learning how to write songs, you learn that what makes a really great song from a songwriter's perspective is the ability to paint a picture. Now, now what does that sound like? You know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very similar to radio play by play. And so I think the ability to paint a picture is a powerful one, regardless of if you're writing songs or calling play by play for a game or, or whatever. I mean, it, it helps the imagination come to life and, and it kind of, it kind of is a marriage between imagination and emotion. You know, um, I think the ability to evoke emotion through painting a picture is what really makes somebody good. I mean, I think, I think a lot of people would agree the best play by play guys are the guys that just suck you in and make you really feel the game. You know, that's, that's playing on your emotion. And I think some of the, the world's best songwriters, are able to are able to make you feel something in three minutes and thirty seconds, and so I, I think there are some similarities there, and um, I definitely think that that the process of learning how to write songs has helped me be a little bit more creative of a play by play guy. Do you just have a natural singing singing voice, or have you taken lessons and stuff to improve that? Because obviously, having a strong singing voice just a plus B, that'll help you have a better broadcasting voice as well. See, you know what's funny is I don't necessarily agree with that. I, a, I'm very self-conscious about my singing voice. I don't think it's very good. And, and really, when it comes to music, I actually don't like to perform, and, and I really do just like to write. Um, but part of writing is you have to get what's in your head out, and you, you, have, to, you have to be able to get by singing to some extent. But the other thing is, I mean, I was born with just a, a lower voice than normal. I mean, my mom says when uh, they, they placed me in the nursery, all the other babies were, were crying these high-pitched cries, and I was just kind of going, wah, you know? And I, I mean, my mom says that's just always been the case. And so when I'm singing, sometimes sometimes I, I, I worry I might be messing up my voice if I, if I try to sing too high and, and get out of my own register a little bit. So... Um, it's it's a weird thing in that way, but I, I don't know that, that the vocal techniques necessarily carry over. But again, I mean, I think the writing and the creativity part is is something that, uh, that that probably does help me a little bit in trying to come up with different ways to describe situations on the court. So one of the things that a lot of play-by-play people will argue about is you know, pre-preparing lines for important games or bringing them out spontaneously. For example, I had Mark Boyle from the Pacers on this podcast before and his ding-dong, the witch is dead, that is famous when they beat the Knicks in the mid-90s. He actually hates it because it wasn't spontaneous and he thought of it earlier. Do you write down lines and ideas of things that you want to do in a play-by-play broadcast lines that you want to say in advance i think it's interesting that you ask that because there are two different situations a there's a situation that you could see coming and that you can prepare for but then b there's a situation that you can't possibly prepare for somebody just has an amazing game or there's a, a miracle shot at the end of the game 
and there's no way you could be ready for that, right? So um, I think just any good play-by-play guy does a lot of homework, and part of doing a lot of homework is seeing whether or not there's the potential for that situation in any given broadcast. And so I don't know that you need to script something. And if you script, there's the chance that it comes off as disingenuous. But you do need to be prepared for, like, I'll give you an example. Clemson uh, at North Carolina this past year, Clemson is 0-57 in Chapel Hill. It's the longest losing streak between two major conference schools in one venue in college sports. And so when I was preparing for that game, at the top of my North Carolina board, I wrote all the appropriate information just in case it was a situation where I needed to know. I I wrote down the date of that day. I didn't want to forget it or have to recall it off the top of my head. I wrote down Wednesday, December 30th, 2015. I wrote down, you know, 58th, uh, 58th game, and, and I wrote down where all the other losses had occurred. I think there were like three at the Tin Can, a handful at Woolen Gymnasium, a handful at Carmichael, something like 26 at the Dean Dome. And I, I, I wrote down all the vital information to be able to help me uh, just, just collect my thoughts in that moment and to be focused on what really mattered. But I didn't want to be stuck to some words because I just didn't know what else was going to develop in order to make that uh, a great moment, you know. And so I think that's what's important. You just need to know if there's a chance that something might happen, what is it that you generally want to convey? And, and, and then give yourself the opportunity to go off of that. Interesting answer. Let's get a little Richard Deitchy here. What is your prep process? You've talked a lot about doing homework. Where do you begin? What information do you look for? Maybe what do you do that not a lot of other people do? Well, for basketball, uh, Division One basketball, I think you have to buy the Blue Ribbon. Uh, and that is not a paid endorsement. That is, Blue Ribbon Magazine is just phenomenal. Um, the way that it gives you pages of information about some programs that don't even have game notes. So that's really important, especially in the non-conference season when you're playing some smaller schools. Um, Blue Ribbon's just got so much good information, a lot of good quotes. That's really great. Obviously, most schools do have game notes, and you got to eat that up as much as possible. From the standpoint of, of the home team, I love to talk to the Clemson assistants um, because I feel like those guys have um, a little bit more detailed information because any head coach is going to, uh, you know, distribute responsibility. So uh, sometimes the assistants can come up with some really interesting tidbits that are, are helpful. And then talking to the opposing play-by-play guy is, is always important. But I think the thing that I do is once I aggregate all the information, I then put it on my spotting boards and I color code it. So I want to know, like, I'll put, like, a quote from somebody in blue highlighter. I'll put uh, an accolade, an award, something like that in orange highlighter. I'll put a a statistic in yellow highlighter. Um, I'll put a career statistic in pink highlighter. Just different ways for me to be able to know exactly what it is that I want to reference. Uh, when it is that I look down at my board, because I think in basketball, you really sometimes only got tenths of a second to look at your board. Uh, you really need to have your eyes on the court in order to do your call right. So um, that's that's one way that I just kind of organize my information in my head. But uh, other than that, I mean, I think really just talking to people, uh, looking for you know different little anecdotes, and then you know sometimes when you play bigger schools. There will be um, there will be really in-depth sites like uh, a fan site, uh, a Sports Nation site, um, uh, maybe a SB Nation site, uh, something along those lines that sometimes has really good uh, 
analysis. Oh, and then Ken Palm. I mean, I think it's well, well again, uh, unpaid endorsement, but I, I think it's well worth the $20 a year to get on Ken and Palm and get all the statistical analysis. I mean, that stuff is fantastic. Um, so really, again, it's just a huge aggregation process. And then once I have it, uh, you know, we kind of whittle it down from there as to what makes the cut onto the board. But still, you know, I, I think that you, you can't be overprepped enough um, going into any broadcast. I, I, I think I probably only use 10% of what I put on my boards, but um, it's so, worth it. It's worth having all that stuff on there. So what did you do when you were doing smaller college and high school games? And you just seem as a person who was overprepared at all times, but when that information isn't available for $20 on Blue Ribbon or Ken Palm, where did you find it? Yeah, I, you have to have conversations. And sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes you don't want to uh, you don't want to face the possibility of rejection by walking up to an opposing coach and saying, hey, coach, I'm doing the radio. Can you tell me a little bit about your team? Or maybe an opposing assistant coach. You, you feel weird doing it, but you just got to go talk to them. I mean, that, that's the only thing you can really do in those situations. You have to have conversations with people. And then if they reject you, they reject you. But if they don't, and if they open up to you and they tell you great stories, I mean, that's, that's invaluable stuff. And I think, you know, high school games and smaller college games, because they're not on TV, they move at a little more rapid pace. So you don't quite need quite as much background to fill the time. Um, but I, I think having the willingness to just genuinely go up and say, hey, I Make it make make it make it an offer they can't refuse. Hey, I'm doing the the game on the radio, and I want your kids to get some good recognition and some good pub. How? Uh, tell me some stories about some of your guys that you'd like me to to relay to our radio audience. I mean, don't don't necessarily make them defensive by say, hey, give me your secrets, tell me your game plan, that sort of thing. But just make it make it an offer they can't refuse, and and then all of a sudden. It's, it's an opportunity to get some good nuggets for your broadcast. What are some horror stories from just awful broadcast locations or just difficult conditions to broadcast in from <laughs> the time when you were doing small college and high school sports? Everybody has some of those. I think they're a lot of fun to kind of just go over and tell, for lack of a better word, war stories. What are yours? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple that I really, really stand out. Both were high school games. One was, um, one was I was driving way up, and this is when I was doing Galax High School uh, for WWWJ in Southwest Virginia, and they had a road game that was like two hours away, and so I drive up to this place way up in the mountains, and they didn't have any room in the press box, so they put us on the roof of the press box, and as we're on the roof of the press box, it starts just sleeting and hailing on us. I mean, <laughs> freezing cold, 32 and a half degrees downpour, you know? And I'm trying to keep the equipment dry. I'm trying to keep myself from getting sick, but it's just absolutely miserable. Well, the team I was covering was really good, and they ended up making it pretty far in the state playoffs, but the team they were playing that night was pretty terrible. So within the first quarter, it's like 35 to nothing. Early in the second quarter, that team's uh, scoreboard goes out. And so for the last two and a half quarters of the game, I'm guessing the time. I'm guessing the down and distance. I'm miserably cold and freezing cold and wet. And my rosters are just like blotches of ink on soaking wet paper. <laughs> And it's a complete disaster. Like, I, I'm, just, I'm just laughing to myself thinking, you know what? This is going to be a story for someday, and all i got to do is get through this. Just, just get through this and, and try not to catch pneumonia and try to keep the equipment from breaking. You know, I mean, th those are your objectives at that point. One of the objectives that I should have told myself was try not to get in a car accident on the way home because <laughs> as I was driving home down these windy mountains, I hit a deer. <laughs> Actually, the deer hit me. It ran out from the woods and T-boned the side of my car 
and put a dent in the side of my car. So uh, that's about as, as good of a horror story as it gets. Uh, but, if that didn't drive uh, you out of the industry, then nothing will. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But uh, there have just there have been some other ones where showing up, uh, you, you get to certain places and you show up, and it turns out your headset doesn't work, and you have to do the entire game on a telephone, or or other things along those lines. But hey, man, you you just got to make it work. You know, just never say die, never give up, do whatever it takes to get on the air, and. Uh, Gosh, my, my very first broadcast partner at that old job, W-A-T-H-W-X-T-Q, Raleigh Swart, he did local high school games there in southeast Ohio for 40 years. He just passed away this past year. He was an absolute legend. He did games uh, for 40 years in south southeast Ohio. And when I had the privilege to do some games with him, he said, there are two things you need to know doing these games. Always say the time and the score, and always bring a roll of duct tape. And I would I – would, I would say that's great advice for anybody who's just starting out in high school broadcasting. That duct tape will get you on the air more times than you can even imagine. <laughs> I I go through constant angry meetings with my other coworkers about people pillaging my bag and taking the duct tape out and me getting to a broadcast and not having it. I mean, <laughs> I mean that is absolutely broadcasting 101 essential stuff. You got to have a duct tape and it's probably good uh, rule 2B is probably take a telephone with you, too. Uh, if you got the chance to actually connect to a telephone uh, that, was, that would plug into the wall, you at least know that that's going to work. That's actually, if you listen to our last podcast with Howard Denneroff, that's how he saved uh, the Super Bowl broadcast yeah, uh, in New right. Orleans. But, um, you know, that's interesting. How have you saved a broadcast with duct tape? Do you have specific examples? Well, I mean, I guess maybe not a specific example that I can really recall. I just know that there have been times that, uh, you know, you're you're very, very, very seldomly working with an easy setup in your first few years. You know, Uh, very seldomly is the is the line close to where you you want to set up. Uh, I mean, the the phone jack is very rarely close to where you want to set up or whatever. So. I, I, I can't really remember, and, and again, if it goes on the air, you're not really thinking about what could have been. It, 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 it just ends up working, right? But, like, the fact that we were able to tape things into place or tape the, the phone cord into the jack on the wall, uh, you know, we've had, we've had minimal problems over the years. And I don't know how many times you can give that credit to the roll of duct tape or not, but I know that uh, it certainly has come into handy. We there's a lot of places online and a lot of coaches who will talk to you about doing great play-by-play. Not a lot of people talk about what it takes to do a great pre-half and post-game show. In your position where you do that for Notre Dame, what are some of the keys to having an excellent pre-post and half-time show? Well, I think most of the people we're talking to on this podcast aren't going to have a long pre-game or post-game shows. So uh, that's that's good because when you've got, like when you're on the Georgia Bulldogs IMG Sports Network and you've got a four-hour pregame show, that's tough. I mean, making all four hours of that really good, that's hard to do. That's a long broadcast. So when you're talking about a shorter broadcast, I'd say just keep it moving. Try not to dwell on any one topic. I think any time that you can incorporate sound, that's always good. I think there are some, there are some podcasts out there, uh, talk shows out there. Anybody that's using a lot of sound, I, I think that just makes it interesting. I, I think any voice can become monotone after a while. And, um, I, you know, you start to just kind of drown it out. And so if you're switching up what voice you're hearing or who's talking or Keeping it moving like that, I think that's really critical. Uh, halftime shows can be a little bit interesting if, if you're not in a position, uh, you know, if you're at a high school game and you're not in a position to have somebody do a, a scoreboard, you got to just break down the first half, try to use whatever notes you've scratched down for statistics, and then, and then give your keys to the second half, and that's pretty much the general way to do it. But the other thing you can do at halftime is look around the crowd 
see if there's somebody who's interesting who's willing to do an interview. Maybe a kid that was on the team last year who's now a freshman at a, at a division at a Division two school, and he was a senior last year that averaged 15 points a game. You see him in the crowd, ask him if he'll come on the halftime show. I think interviews are really compelling at halftime. And then, honestly, in postgame, I think, again, the key is just make it move. I, I think it can get pretty boring, so try to vary your topics. Um, make sure you're, you're constantly presenting new information and just keep it moving. What do you do to this day to get better at play-by-play? It's funny. I, I've been listening to a lot of my tapes from the 15-16 season, and one of the things that, that I've really noticed a lot is there's really only so many ways to, descri- to describe certain things. And so trying to expand my vocabulary is uh, one of the things that I'm constantly working on. And I think you can do that in a number of ways. Uh, one, you could just make little note cards for, for situations. Like if, if, a, if a shot is going to be missed, how many different ways can you describe that? But I think another thing you could do is just read and, uh, you know, read whatever you want. Read, um, read classic novels, read biographies, read, uh, you know, news stories. Um, whatever you're doing to keep your eyes on new words and, and, and fresh topics, I think, is, uh, is a helpful thing as well. But um, I think the other thing that I really try to do is I try to listen to as many other college broadcasters as I possibly can. And with things like TuneIn, like I know IMG has a relationship with TuneIn where there are like 50-some schools that, that TuneIn will stream the broadcast for. So if you've got the TuneIn app on your phone, you can listen to 50 different college play-by-play guys. I've got SiriusXM. I listen to all these different NFL and NBA play-by-play guys. I think just listening to other people is also really, really critical because they'll do things. Uh, I still hear phrases once in a while, and I'm like, man, I never thought of describing it that way before. Um, I remember listening to uh, Mike Tirico call a national championship game and just hearing the way that he described a running clock by saying it's a turning first-half clock. I'd never heard that before, and I'd been listening to broadcasting for 15 years, and I heard – turning first half clock and I was like I kind of like that I started using I started using that once in a while I think uh just being well read listening to a lot of people I think uh is is always going to help you expand your horizon have you ever like decided you liked a word or phrase and it didn't to describe something and it just didn't work people didn't understand what you were saying it was maybe a little too abstract or too creative I think, yeah, one of my favorite ones that I heard and I tried to start using and it didn't really work. That's funny you say that. Um, Mick Hubert, the voice of the Florida Gators, one of the things that he does in basketball that I love, I just think it's so creative, is he'll he'll say 15-foot jumper, it went 14, or it went 16, you know, rather than saying long or short. And I tried to do that uh, one time in, in my own way, but it's it's just, it's not mine. And I was forcing it and it just didn't work very well. And so I, I really haven't done it more than the one time I tried and failed. But um, I, I think one of the other things that everybody should do is really, like, like I said with, with Kurt's advice earlier, you just got to be yourself. I mean, use, I, I wouldn't say use, but I would say listen to other people as a guide for what works and what doesn't. But when it comes to, to ways that you want to describe things, just be yourself. And I'm, I'm not big on catchphrases. I don't, I don't try to say uh, something that's uniquely mine. I really just call the game. I don't, have a, I don't have the same call after a three. I don't have the same call after a, a win. I, I, I really want to just describe uh, the, the, each, each thing as if it's unique in, in whatever way that, that my brain wants to spit it out. So um, that's just my preference. I don't think there's anything wrong with catchphrases. It's not my thing. But um, I, I do think it's important to be yourself. You can learn a lot from other people, but still be yourself. Who are your favorite broadcasters to listen to? And maybe go with 
some of the national people that you like that are well-known, but maybe some under-the-radar local people from your area as well? Yeah, I think uh, John Sadak uh, of Westwood One is fantastic. Man, when I listen to him, he he almost he almost blows my mind with how many different ways he quickly uh, and, and succinctly describes um, things. And it, it he almost uses so many words that I'm like, I, I don't even know what that word means. I mean, his vocabulary is off the charts. He's, he's a very good play-by-play guy. Um, Roxy Bernstein was the voice of Cal basketball when I started working at ISP and IMG. And uh, I thought Roxy was fantastic when he was doing basketball at Cal. Bob Rondo, the voice of Washington, is one of the best in the country. And he's just being honored with a, a, a induction of the College Sports Hall of Fame uh, this upcoming year. Paul Keels, the uh, voice of the Buckeyes, is really, really good. He's got great pipes. He's got a, a, a really cool big call. I love how his voice has the, the big moment inflection uh, right on time. And so I, I love listening to Paul. Um, and, you know, there are many, many, many more. Uh, I, I love listening to Wes Durham's uh, just, just personality. Wes's personality is such a cool personality. He's such a cool guy. And I, I love how Wes just being Wes is entertaining to listen to. <laughs> um, you know, those are just a few off the top of my head. And, and I hate to leave out other names of people that, that I really like and respect because they're, they're definitely there. But, but those are the first ones off the top of my head. That's an interesting thing that you brought up about West Durham because one of the things that I think makes the, the true greats great is that their personality comes out in their broadcast while they're getting the fundamentals down. What can you do to make sure that, that you're able to do that? And where do you draw the line on letting it maybe go too far? I think your personality goes too far if you make it about yourself. I mean, that's that's my opinion. Like, if you're saying I or me or you're you're making it about yourself, then that's your personality going too far. But you having fun calling the game in the way that uh, you know, as as if you're calling the game and, and thinking of it as if like your your best friends are listening to the call. Um, and, and the audience is kind of – you let them in on some inside jokes between you and the analyst or, or some recurring themes throughout the year and, and let the audience and let the listener in on that. I think that stuff's a lot of fun. And, I mean, Wes has, uh, Wes has the ability to just come up with some phrases that – you know, I had never even thought about before, but again, it kind of has, it almost has this songwritery element to the way it paints a picture. I think he called a, an opening kickoff return for a touchdown one time. I think he called that by saying, score six nothing and my pants aren't even wrinkled yet, you know, <laughs> or something like that. I mean, something that just really brings the fun and, and brings the, brings the personality to it. Um, I think, I think that's really cool. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's a hard, that's a hard thing. And that's probably something if you're trying to develop your personality and you don't feel like you've gotten it quite yet to the point where uh, you feel totally comfortable being yourself and, and, and you don't feel like you're really entertaining your audience, consult people's advice. I mean, ask people you trust, is this too much? Is this too little? What do you think about this? Uh, I mean, I think asking someone you trust who's going to give you an honest critique, uh, I, I think that's a good way of helping yourself feel comfortable in those situations. Just a couple more things here as we have taken up almost an hour of your time already, and I'm sure you've got plenty of better things to be doing with your life here on your Monday evening. One of the questions I came up for earlier that I wanted to hold on to if we had time, if you had a chance to either broadcast the Super Bowl or have your favorite musician sing a song that you wrote at the Super Bowl halftime show, which one are you picking? Oh, gosh. Well, let's, let's rephrase the scenario this way. I think, uh, gosh, man, that's tough. 
I think the Super Bowl thing is weird because I'm much more of a college sports guy than a pro sports guy. So I, I feel like this is like uh, a sacrilege to the other sportscasters out there. <laughs> but because it's just not my personal, like, my it's not my personal dream scenario, I think I'd rather have one of my one of my songs sung by somebody else so long as they're cutting it, making it part of their album, and sending me a royalty check. As long as that's the case, uh, that's probably what I'd go with. But if we had to do the same scenario about the BCS or the college football playoff national championship game, I think I'd probably want to call the game. So if you can pick one musician to sing your song at the Super Bowl halftime show, who is it? Gosh, right now um, I'm on a big Eric Church kick. Uh, I'm a little bit of a latecomer to the country scene, but my three favorite artists right now are probably Jason Isbell, um, Chris Stapleton, and Eric Church. And uh, if I could get Eric Church to cut one of my songs and perform that at the Super Bowl, that might be that might be the end of my songwriting career. I'll just <laughs> go ahead and put the pen down and, and, and let that be the way I go out. What if Eric Church said he just wanted you to sing the lead-in music for the Say the Damn Score podcast and he needed you to write a song <laughs> for that? Because eventually this podcast is going to grow to a point where I'm not going to be able to keep using the stuff that I just have from my iTunes. I feel like the what ifs just get, they keep getting more ridiculous. Like, what if Dr. Yeah. Pepper was really your doctor? Like, you know, <laughs> let's just, just, just keep getting crazier and crazier. That's uh, what we do here. Look, if, any, if any of these situations happen, I'll take it. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, how would somebody get in touch with you if they wanted to do so and follow up uh, after this podcast? I'd say just send me an email, uh, Tony dot capturecone at img.com we are coming up on a on a pretty time of the year i do try to respond to, to everybody that reaches out uh with with at least some feedback or at least I, I can't always follow up with a phone call i try to if i can but um i i try to at least give a little bit of feedback to whatever the question may be uh via email so i can't promise a quick turnaround this time of year but i'm always happy to do that I mean, I think, you know, it's just a, a little bit of it is, is my Christian faith that, that I believe that um, you should love others as you love yourself. But a lot of it is also just my immense appreciation for the people who have helped me with nothing to gain over the course of my career. And I, I want to continue to pay that forward. I really I really think it's 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 cool to build relationships with all kinds of people in this industry. Obviously, it's a thrill to build relationships with people out of your league, like Kirk Herbstreet, because that's just me, right? But it's also really cool to build relationships with your colleagues uh, because you get to celebrate their successes as those come. But then when you build relationships with people uh, who are a little bit younger and, and less experienced than you, that is really rewarding because when you're able to offer them a small nugget that they can then turn into something good for themselves. That's just that's just a great feeling. That's the beginning of a real genuine friendship, and uh, that's something that, that I think is invaluable. So um, I would say send me an email, and and I would definitely try to uh, to get back to you as soon as I can. You brought up something that I'm going to bring up before I let you go again. As you mentioned your Christian faith and how important that was to you, how has that aspect of your life maybe help to balance your life and make it easier for you to advance in this career? I think um, it's taken a lot of pressure off of me. Uh, real, uh, that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of people put pressure on themselves to get to a certain place, and I think a lot of people long for the great gig and get frustrated with where they're at. And what my faith tells me is that um, there's a whole lot that I can do within any given situation. You know, um, I, I think, I think uh, you know, if the two great commandments are to love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and, my, and to love my neighbor as I love myself, I can do that at Clemson, or I can do that at Galax High School. I could do that. You know, if I'm if I'm calling the final four on CBS, or I can call that if I'm picking up the trash 
as a maintenance worker at the Final Four after the game's over. Like, I can really do that in any situation. And when you have the opportunity to really pour into people and, and, and to see those things come to fruition, it's rewarding no matter where you're at. And when you can enjoy those things and, and appreciate them as the blessings that they are, I, I, I really find it hard to be bummed out about being at any stage of your career, whether it's where you wish you were or not. Uh, there's just there's so much joy that comes out of being in any given situation because of the opportunity to do those two things within that given space. So I don't know if, if that fully answers that question, but that's how it's worked for me. It's taken a lot of pressure off me because I know that really the destination doesn't so much matter as the journey. And uh, I, I have an opportunity to live today uh, the way that, that I, I believe I should, um, you know, regardless of the circumstances that today might bring for my career or my personal life or anything like that. Once again, we are talking with Tony Castricone. He is the men's basketball announcer for the Clemson University Tigers, also the network manager for IMG for nine different schools, does the Notre Dame pre- and post-game and halftime shows and lots of other things as well as a songwriter. He's a voiceover actor, pretty much just the modern-day renaissance man of the sports casting <laughs> business. And, Tony, thanks for coming on my show. Logan, it was a real pleasure. I think the blog that you've got and the podcast is really cool. I'm glad you're doing it. I hope, uh, you know, I, I wish you great success with it. I hope a lot of people get a lot of good things out of it. And um, please stay in touch, my friend. All right, will do. This has been the Say the Damn Score podcast. I'm Logan Anderson, your host, as always. This was our 18th episode, and I thank everyone for tuning in. I want to remind everybody to subscribe to the podcast via email on www.saythedamnscore.com. That will bring you an update to your inbox every time something new is posted on saythedamnscore.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. You can follow uh, the website, podcast, blog, and everything on facebook.com slash score. And I also post everything on Twitter at radio underscore Logan. Thanks for tuning into the podcast today. And remember, as always, next time you're on the air, remember to say the damn score.